0: Now the lounge is full, farmers, for the 7.30 drop. Teammates all left before they had to buy the round. When they hey everybody, 50 welcome 50 back to Rocks Across the I'm Pond. It's again. a curling podcast. Coming to you from Richmond, Virginia, my name is Ryan McGee, and with me to preview the Women's World Championship in Silkborg, Digmark. Is uh, our own professor of Peel, Dr. Jonathan Havercroft. Jonathan, how are you today?
1: I'm great. Everything's wonderful. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you don't believe me. I don't. <laughs> Why not? I don't know. There's something about your tone. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Everything is great in my life, Ryan
0: McGee. Do we need to pull out the uh, like the therapist couch here? You want me to podcast?
1: lie down? Tell my upbringing, what my parents were like.
0: Or we can just talk about the Women's World Championship.
1: Yeah, we could do that.
0: So we're going to preview the Women's Worlds here. It's coming up uh, this weekend. I'm actually kind of excited about this one. And I'm, I may be more excited about the Women's Worlds than the Men's Worlds this year. The Women's Worlds, I think you've got, I don't know, from top to bottom, I think it's a, it's a better field. Um, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch.
1: Yeah, I think so too. It's a good field. Uh, lots of great teams, lots of teams we've seen all year on the slams too. So I think, uh, I think it's a wide open event, which is nice to see too.
0: Yep. So it's coming up March 16th through 24th in Denmark. If you're in Canada, obviously you'll be able to see that on TSN. Uh, In the US, uh, really cool. Every US game is going to be broadcast live either on the Olympic channel or on NBCSN. And I think you're going to see a few other games taped delayed on NBCSN. So... Curling coverage here in the States uh, has gotten a lot better and it's good to see NBC kind of embracing the sport and, you know, helping to, uh, helping to make it more popular. And I
1: think here is where not being in North America is a benefit because we get it all through world curling TV. And I think the yeah. WCF, like the, the YouTube channel events that WCF put on uh, are great. they great commentators, kind of great coverage Um, and, uh, you know, we don't have any geo-locking. I think some of those things are geo-locked in the U S and Canada if, if there's TV coverage. So it's good to see the WCF using kind of the latest technology to, to expose the game around the world as much as possible. So that's a good thing to see too.
0: Yeah. And if the, if, if basically if the game is not being broadcast by Olympic channel, then the WCF TV game there on YouTube is not geolocked here in the States, I believe is how that works. So we're going to go through the 13 team field team by team. The top six make the playoffs. There are no tiebreakers. If there's a tie that gets decided by the DSC score. We saw that for the first time last year. Uh, So we're going to go through this field one by one, and we're going to go uh, reverse order of merit. Jonathan, I know that you hate the order of merit, but it's a way to just kind of get a general idea of how these teams have done and how much they've been on tour. And it's just, it's, I don't know, it's easier to do it this way. I think, even though you hate order of merit.
1: I I just have up the WCF webpage. Uh, It's an alphabetical order, (laughs) which is another way to do it. I I think the W I think order of merit tells you some things, but I don't think it tells you everything. So I I, I think there's, there are definitely a ways teams can buy themselves points, is first of all, right? So that's one of my, you know, if you're if you're a team with a country that's got like decent Olympic funding and your association can afford to send you to live in Canada for six months and play in a spiel every weekend, you can buy your way up the order of merit points kind of pretty easily. And then well, well it tells you a bit. Obviously, like a team that's like, you know, ranked in the top 10 is gonna be a good team. I think once it drops past 50, the difference between say 50 and 100 is negligible and you know, I say between 100 and 200 is negligible too. So
0: All right, so we're going to look at these teams reverse order of merit. So the team we're going to start with, uh Jonathan of all the skips that are in this event, which one do you think has the most world championship appearances?
1: Uh, I don't know. <laughs> well, Jonathan. <laughs> well, Jonathan. Is it going to be Evita Stasa Sarsuna, or is it going to be Danny Jench or is it going to be Madalena DuPont?
0: It is Madalena DuPont. Uh, she comes wow. into this event uh, as the host team. It is her 11th World Championship. So the most of any skip in this field, uh, her highest finish was 2nd in 2007. This team hasn't been on tour much this year. They went to the China Open, which was one of those events that, you know, China's trying to build up to the 22 Olympics in in Beijing, so they've been having these these one-off tournaments where they bring in one team from each country just to kind of build up um, you know, try to get competition in China for Chinese teams. And uh, Madalena DuPont went and played in the China Open where she went three and four. She did get wins over Sophie Jackson and Jennifer Jones. Uh, the other time that we saw her, she went three and six at the Europeans. But this is a team that we've seen a lot. Obviously, it's a veteran team. You can't really go off order of merit. Plus, they're on home ice.
1: And they did beat... Rachel Holman last year at the Olympics.
0: They did. That was their only win at the Olympics, but they did. They did beat Rachel Holman. <laughs> they did. So what? Uh, I mean, w- what kind of advantage is it to be playing on home ice in this thing?
1: Uh, <clears throat> it's nice. I think. Well, you don't have to travel. The food's familiar. You don't have to do a time zone shift. Uh, you should have some supporters around. So I think those are all kind of big. Big advantages. I don't think there's kind of home ice advantage in the sense that she'll know what the ice is any better than anybody else. But, um, you know, not having to travel is always easier on the body. And being in a country where things are familiar to you is also a big advantage
0: too, I'd say. Are they a threat to make the playoffs?
1: Uh I would put them mid-table. We're, we're on this six-team playoff thing, aren't we? Yep. So, I mean, I'll, I'll say this. Looking at the field, the answer when you ask me that question about every team is, in fact, yes. This is actually a pretty deep field this mm-hmm. year. So, I could see them making the playoffs. I could see them not making the playoffs. How, how decisive is that for you, Ryan?
0: I mean, I have a, I have a feeling that's about as decisive as you're going to get for all of these teams. Uh, <laughs> so up next is the Latvian team skipped by Eveta Stasha Sarsina. Um, yes. Did I do it? I said it right.
1: I don't know. I've, I've been to Latvia, but my Latvian is uh, non-existent.
0: All right, I think I got that right. This is the third world championship for Stasha Sarsina. Uh, yes. Previously, in she was there, uh, finishing twelfth in 2010 and 2013. Uh, earlier this year, they were kind of the surprise team at the Europeans. They finished fifth. Uh, they even had a win over Eve Muirhead. Uh, but Jonathan, they're 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 my pick to to get the wooden spoon here.
1: Yeah, I, I will go against that because I will tell you, having played in spiels with them, they are a grinder team. They are like uh, – they, do, they don't They do care who they're playing. They just keep coming at you. Uh, th- they're not going to win. <clears throat> they're probably not going to – I would be stunned if they meddled, but uh, they will just grind out every game, and they're going to get some wins. Uh, so I do not think they will finish last.
0: All right. Are they gonna, think- they're going to be the surprise team just like they were at Euros?
1: Uh, I mean to me I wasn't super surprised by the Euro result. Like like they don't they, they play kind of the European circuit. They're used to playing a lot of the TV teams. Um, they're not they're not intimidated. Uh, their technique is not like their, their delivery technique is not the greatest, but they spent a lot of time they've brought in like good coaching. They've got like a lot of the team dynamic stuff down. They're they call like a, a solid game tactically. Um, they're one of those teams that just you know they're just one of those teams that just doesn't doesn't beat themselves and and that'll get you a decent way in a tournament like this. So I'll give a little bit of props to Latvia.
0: Jonathan, I love that we have you here to talk about these European teams that no one else knows about
1: <laughs> the obscure obscure Euro teams. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it's the same with Matilda Dupont. Like it, again, it, I, I'm, I'm going to have a hard time picking who's going to finish last here. I think it's, you know, we'll, we'll get to the the power teams kind of towards the end of this. But um, this is an interesting this is an interesting tournament for a whole host of reasons. And some of the teams that you, you kind of would look at and think, oh, they got no shot. They, I, I'm like, they're, they're going to win games for sure.
0: Uh, up next is Finland, skipped by Una Kausta. This is her third world championship. She finished 11th in her previous two appearances. Uh, she beat Hungary at the world qualification event in New Zealand in order to qualify for this tournament. Uh, she was in the A pool at Europeans earlier this year where she went 2-7. and seven. Not a whole lot of appearances on the world curling tour this year she went 0 and 4 at the Stockholm Ladies Cup uh and her last world championship appearance was 2016
1: yeah so uh, of the three teams we've covered so far i'd probably put them all in a tranche as kind of like the you know the lower the lower uh group and I, I would actually put the Finnish team as the most likely to finish last of those three was that um, well, I mean, they were the last one in, so last one in, last one out, so that's she's kind of part true. of it. Um, I, I think Una is kind of a very streaky player. Like, she she won the bronze uh, in the Euros a few years ago, but, um, so when she's on, she can actually take a team a far away as a skip. I don't think she has a, a strong team in front of her, and, uh, I think if she's off, it can go kind of very badly, too. So I, I don't see them... I, 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 I kind of see them kind of as a likely candidate for the wooden spoon, I'd say.
0: All right. And this, uh, this next team, it's kind of surprising to see this country this low, but we also saw an upset at their national championship. Uh, up next is Sophie Jackson's team, uh, Team Scotland. This is her first world championship appearance. She was an alternate last year on Fleming's team. She has a silver at the twenty-seven World Juniors uh, earlier this year. She went two and four at the World Cup uh, event in Yongkoping, or Yongchoping I think is how it's pronounced. Uh, she went three and four at that China Open event that we mentioned. Uh, her best finish, really, she made the quarterfinals uh, at Kirazawa. So she's been all over the world. Uh, she does have that. She does have that advantage. Uh, and I mean, she beat Muir- Eve Muirhead three times in order to win Scotland. So even though She's kind of low on the order of merit, and low in terms of the rankings of these teams. Um, not, uh, not, not someone that you should dismiss, and uh, solid performance at the Winter Universiade. So, will will the fact that they just got done playing in that tournament be a factor?
1: Uh, uh, if anything, I think it's an advantage. Uh, now, the the big kerfuffle we talked about it a bit on the pod a few episodes ago was um that after they won the Scottish championship british curling said they had an agreement in place to play in the Universiade and that meant they couldn't go to the worlds um to be honest it's i'm like there's a 5 day turnover i guess there's a 4 day turnover when you factor in travel time um i don't think fatigue is that much of an issue in this instance i think it's been kind of grossly overstated um And they've already been through kind of a team WCF run event uh, two weeks before. If anything, it's a little bit of an advantage. It'll it'll feel pretty natural. And even if this is their first appearance in a world, in the women's world championship, this Jackson team's played uh, a couple of junior championships, world junior championships, world junior Bs. Uh, the Universiade, and they've, they've kind of got a lot of international um, curling experience. So I don't think intimidation is going to be a factor, even if they are a young team. And I think the Universiade experience is actually going to be an advantage, not a disadvantage.
0: We've got nine teams left that we're going to talk about. All nine of these teams are in the top 36 in order of merit. So it is, it's kind of a loaded sport. World- field in in my opinion. And if you had if Eve Muirhead had managed to win in Scotland, then you'd have really just a ridiculous field here. Not to take anything away from Sophie Jackson and she should be a pretty solid competitor at this world's team. Um you know we're we're an Eve Muirhead name away from this being just a ridiculous field in my opinion. But up next is the U.S. and Jamie Sinclair this is her second world championship appearance. She finished fourth last year. A little bit of a different team. Alex Carlson is not going to be there. Uh, she's currently on maternity leave. Uh, but this team had an up and down year as a kind of a new-ish team with no Alex Carlson. They did make the quarters at the Shorty Jenkins. Uh, their best win uh, was that came at the National where they beat Team Flurry. In the slams, they're only five and fourteen, uh, and then we also saw them in Omaha at the Curling World Cup, where they went two and four with wins over Team Kim and Team Kovaleva.
1: Yeah, I'm surprised they're like the lowest ranked of the the top tier. <laughs> to be honest, I I don't have the order of merit standings in front of me, so I'm I'm surprised. I'm actually a bit surprised by that based off kind of name recognition, but when you walk through the slam results and the results against the elite teams, that kind of does make sense. So I guess that's something to kind of, it's an odd team, right? Cause they're, they're not even a year out from winning a slam. Not mm-hmm. exactly the same personnel, but they're still like one year out from winning a, an actual slam. And uh, yeah, they had, they kind of, they won the U S nationals, nothing to kind of sniff your nose at, but
0: with only one loss at U S nationals.
1: Yeah. Only one loss. Right. But um, I mean, the, it it does give you pause when you run through those numbers to see how they'll do against the top teams here, right? Like, how will they do against the carries and the Hasselborgs and all that? Um, so that's kind of an interesting, interesting question.
0: It's been just kind of a. A weird year for them. You expected them, you expect them to be a lot better, but it is a new team. You know, maybe they're having more growing pains than some of the other new teams out there. But I mean, you look at the track record of, of Jamie Sinclair and, you know, she's not going to be afraid in this tournament. And, you know, they're one of the teams that you think could over, you know, outplay their order of merit standing.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, I I, I would not be surprised to made the playoffs for sure. Um, I don't think that they're a favorite to win it. I would be surprised if they meddled. Okay,
0: I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised if they made the playoffs. But yeah, I would be with the depth of the field. I would be surprised if they meddled. But they're still an extremely good team. That you know, it depends on which team Sinclair shows up. If the good team Sinclair shows up, I think they could meddle. But. Uh, they could just as easily uh, not make the playoffs, but I mean it's a it's a good team. It's just they've had their ups and downs. And if the team that if if the team that showed up at nationals is the team that shows up in Denmark, I think that they'll they'll be a surprise team. Uh, up next is China Skip Y Wang Rui, uh, kind of a change. So this team started out with their third uh, A as the skip. I'm not sure exactly when. The switch took place, but now they are uh, Team Wong with Wang Rui uh, throwing Last Rock and skipping. This is Wong Rui's fifth world championship, but it's her first as a skip. Uh, she was the third for uh, Zhang Yailun uh, at last year's world championship. Uh, this team finished first at the world qualification event. Um, out on tour, they've had some success. They went to the semifinals at Lloyd Minster. They finished second at Red Deer. And this season, they've got wins over a lot of teams that are in this field. They've got wins over Team Kim, Team Nakajima, um, Team Ginch, Sophie Jackson, Madalena DuPont, and then in terms of some Canadian teams, they've got wins over Sarah Work and uh, over Team Flaxi.
1: That's a pretty good resume. <clears throat> um I don't know, and I haven't I haven't seen them play a game, so I don't really have uh, kind of much to much to add here. No. Still, to be honest with the Asia Pacific teams, unless I've kind of seen them play in an event, uh, I'm I'm not don't really have much to go on in terms of adding anything. But yeah, I mean, China's kind of continuously kind of building up its program. They're definitely gunning to uh, hit the podium in 2022 when when the Olympics are in Beijing. So. Uh, I expect a solid showing from China for sure. And uh, they've definitely done all the right things in
0: order to kind of put on a good performance here this week. So there's Skip Wang Rui. She has an Olympic appearance. Uh, both her and Meiji are young. They're in their mid-20s. So this might be the team that they're kind of trying to, to build up as possibly the Olympic team, I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so that sounds like it, right? And they—they mean,
0: and they know they have a spot. Unlike anyone else, they know that they've got a spot in the Olympics.
1: They know they've got a spot in the Olympics. Their challenge is to try to become, um, to have an elite enough squad on both the men's and women's side that can medal. That's really what they're gunning for uh, over this cycle. So, uh, yeah, I think if anything. Uh, the one kind of caution is that they didn't win out of the Pacific Asia, right? Like they, mm-hmm. they weren't. They had to go through the World Qualification event, so that that might kind of give a bit of pause. They had to come through that event. That
0: that would again kind of come to my theory. You know, they also weren't there. I think they sent a different. I think they sent a different yeah. team to PACCs. I think.
1: Yeah, but still, I mean, in terms of the country, it's a bit like that. that to me, is a bit concerning that you're, you know. If you're not, if you're coming through the world qualification event as opposed to the your regional qualifier, that may say something, right? Yeah, so it was Zhang,
0: Zhang Yailun's team was the team with uh, with Lu Seja skipping there. There, that's yeah. the team that they sent the ACCs that finished, yeah. uh, I believe finished uh, third.
1: They finished third, yeah. So. You know, I think that might be that might give a bit of pause to me, at least. That they that they because they didn't have they had to come through the back door, so to speak, as opposed to qualifying through their their regional tournament.
0: Uh up next is Germany skipped by Daniela Ginch. This is her sixth world championship. Her best finish was sixth in two thousand. This is an interesting team. They've kind of come into their own here this year. They they had their best ever finish at uh, Europeans earlier this year. They finished 3rd. They won the Qinghai Curling Elite where they beat Teams Kovaleva, Team Stern and Kelsey Rock. She finished set, uh, she made the semifinals at the Spiels in Perth. Uh, Scotland and in Bern, uh, her best win on tour, though uh, really only one really good win on tour. She beat Zoni in October at that Stockholm uh, Stockholm Ladies Cup.
1: Yeah, I think like, to me this is a team that's on the upswing. Like like I <clears throat> I think they they were like just missed out on the Olympics last last cycle. Um, they've been going out and doing all the work. They've been like hitting all the spiels, getting all the coaching, doing everything you're supposed to to do. Uh, and so I think as a team, they're definitely on the upswing. The, the Euros results got to be taken seriously. I think that's always kind of a good omen. Uh, and so I definitely have them in as a playoff team for this, this year. I, I'd, I'd be surprised they didn't make playoffs. And I think they'll be – yeah, I think I'll be sniffing around the podium. So if there's like a – I mean, they're not a favorite, but I think of the ones we've kind of run through so far, I just kind to of say that's that's one I definitely would kind of put in, the, put in the contender
0: pile, so to speak. All right. So we've reached the top six teams in terms of order of merit. So if things shook out the way the order of merit says, these would be your playoff teams. Obviously, nothing is guaranteed. Uh, this next team is the team that I think might have its hello world moment, and that is Team Nakajima from Japan. Uh, They went undefeated at the Japanese championships. Uh, This team up until this year was skipped by Shiaki Matsumura, who is the third. This is a team that, you know, they won the Japanese championship in 2017 and Japan did not qualify for Worlds that year. So they did not get to play in a world championship. So this is their This is the first world championship for Saina Nakajima, who is the skip, who throws uh, second stones, actually. Uh, Matsumura played lead for the team that represented Japan at the 2007 World, so she's at least got some experience on the world stage. Uh, The person that's going to be throwing fourth stones for this team is Akui Kitazawa. Uh, So this is a team that most people in North America aren't going to know a lot about, and it's because they don't play a ton um in north america so they they haven't qualified for slams but they've been a really solid team the fact that they dominated against the other japanese teams um i think makes them kind of a threat and they're they're interesting like we talked about um in our last show with sarah work throwing what they called comfy weight which was that 11 second um Eleven second hog to hog takeouts. This is a team that also is comfortable with play being drawn to the middle. Um, they play a nice, quiet takeout weight shot that can really flip ends. So you know they're they're a team that can kind of play a style that I don't know might benefit them on European ice, and I'll ask you about that later um, on tour. Uh, they finished second at the Hokkaido Bank Classic at the beginning of the year. With uh, was was really the first game, the first event that Nakajima was the skip for this team. I believe. I think that uh, that was her, her first time calling for this team. Uh, they made the semifinals in Red Deer. They made the semifinals in Karizawa. Her best win on tour was she beat Chelsea Carey at the Canad Inns. So yeah, so they they've got that win on their resume, Jonathan. I bet you don't know a whole lot about this team.
1: I do not, but I know that Japanese curling, especially Japanese women's curling, has been really taking strides forward in the last seven, eight years. And that's—I don't want to say it's only because of JD Lind, but it kind of—he seems to be, and he's coaching them here, so he seems to be the you know the the big superstar coach they've brought in to help with their elite teams. And the results have definitely been paying off over the last, well, I guess six, seven years now, right? So especially since the Fujisawa, when was the Fujisawa run where they made the final? That was uh, that was the year Chelsea Carey went last time, wasn't it? That was 20... I believe so. So was that
0: 2015? I believe so. Yeah, so... And then, and then that team won bronze at the Olympics last year.
1: Yeah, they won bronze. But I mean, so it's, it's like we, you know... Again, it's one of these things, you think back 10 years ago and people would be like, oh, you got to really watch out for Team Japan and Team China at the World Championships. I think we were going to a Time Machine, people would look at you like you're crazy. But definitely Asian curling uh, has been kind of on the rise the last decade. And so, you know, anyone coming out of Japan these days, I'd say, is, is a contender for sure.
0: Uh, staying in the Pacific Asia region, our next team, the team that really has kind of come out of nowhere this year. If you had told me, look out for Team Kim at the 2019 Women's Worlds, I would have said, well, of course, they just won silver. This is a different Team Kim. This is a actually a junior team, Kim Minji, and they are 15th in order of merit. This is her first appearance at the women's world's championships. However, she skipped at four world juniors. The Korean Federation sent her to all three legs of the curling world cup where she went 11 and nine overall. Uh, and she even won the last curling world cup in Yom Chopin beating Anna Hasselborg in Sweden to win that, um, she finished first at the PACCs, and yeah, this team's come out of nowhere.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, before this season, I hadn't heard of them. Um, I think it's – like this is, again, the Olympic dividend paying off, right? Like Korea clearly invested a lot of money in their Olympic curling program uh, over the last quad, and there's definitely a carryover effect into this quad too, right? So this is the team they developed their junior program – And so they've probably done all the right things and kind of brought in elite coaches and hit all the international events they need to hit. And so for them to be top fifteen in the world tells you they're going to be like they're they're definitely going to be a medal contender at this event.
0: Uh, Like Sophie Jackson, she just participated in the Winter Universiade where she finished second to Sweden's Isabella Rana. So really good team. She won that curling world cup but not a great world juniors recently and then finished second at the university Odd.
1: yeah and i think that's so that's interesting we got a couple of teams coming from the university Odd, and i guess i call me though i i think it's an advantage to be honest okay. that you know you, you'll get a bit of a rest but you've kind of been in as a team one of these events so it's going to feel very familiar when you come to the next one so uh I think it'll be a little bit of advantage for them
0: as well, too. Uh, Next up is team Russia skipped by Alina Kovaleva. This is Alina Kovaleva's second world championship. Uh, her, she was with team Sidorova in 2017 when they finished second, she was the alternate for team Sidorova, but she played in 10 games as both the second and as the lead, uh, this is kind of this is the new team Russia, basically. She beat Sidorova rather convincingly to go represent Russia at Europeans, where they finished fourth, and then beat Sidorova again for the right to come to this world. So I, I think there's been a passing of the torch there in terms of Russian women's curling. Uh, she's the 2013 world junior champ. They were two and four at the curling World Cup event in Omaha and on tour this year she's got wins over Benia felcher over team Nakajima over Jennifer Jones uh, Kim Minji Sophie Jackson and Rachel Homan
1: yeah so they're I mean they're really good uh, I mean there's not much more to say they, they're pretty impressive a little streaky like what they where did they finish at the euros I don't think they met all the euros did they, they were they of- fourth. Fourth. Yeah, so just out of the medals at Euros, but they've definitely kind of posted really good results on tour um, and definitely kind of overtaken Sidorova this year as the kind of top Russian women's team. So, um, yeah, definitely, definitely a good team.
0: They're also coming back from the Universiade, um, her second in her lead. Played in it, and she actually coached the Russian team that uh, I believe finished third uh, there at the Universiade.
1: So, okay, so it's, it's it's hilarious that this. So, to me, this is I didn't realize how many of the teams are coming from the Universiade. So, this makes the <laughs> the Scottish curling curve couple all the more hilarious. Yeah, um, it really does. Yeah. So, uh, um, yeah, and again, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I'm just like.
0: I know it's really ridiculous that they cared about that as much. And all these teams are going to be coming from, from Siberia to play in this tournament. It really was, it was much ado about nothing.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I can't, can you imagine saying, Oh, uh, you know, the Thunder are playing this week in California. And so they've got in five days time, they've got to play in New York. uh, So They shouldn't play in California. Like, it's just like, if you're a professional sport, professional athlete, um, that's just kind of part of how how the games played these days. So I think. Uh, <laughs> I could think you
0: imagine? Right, could you imagine if they had stuck to it and sent Team Your Head instead of Team Jackson to the Worlds, and then the Kim Minji team had gone straight from the University ad to the Worlds and then won Worlds? Uh,
1: I mean, I like think. What level?
0: What level of hilarious, hilarious would have that have been?
1: I mean, it it is hilarious. I I don't get, I don't, I I understand. I think there's a little bit of like coddling going on here that I don't quite get in terms of like, like, oh, you need whatever. We don't, we don't want to burn yourself out. But like, if if the game's going to become professional, and it is, then it needs to become professional. The sense also that like, you know, tough luck. Sometimes you're going to have to perform back to back weeks. Right. In this case, it's one week on, one week off, one week on again. And, uh, I can't think of like any other professional sport where you getting a week break in between or a four or five day rest in between, uh, is going to be, is going to be seen as an excuse for performing negatively. But for some reason it's kind of creeping in and curling, which, uh, strikes me as pretty absurd.
0: All right. So now we get into, I guess, kind of the big three. Of the teams that are going to be at the Worlds. Up first, uh, Team Canada and Chelsea Carey. This is her second Worlds. She finished fourth in 2016. Really kind of tough to judge their. world curling tour records because this team really only came together in December when Rochelle Brown came back from maternity leave. And now ever since they've been a foursome, they've been awesome. And obviously we saw that at the Scotties where they won. Um, but looking at what they've done this year overall, uh, 10 and 15 in GSOC, uh, events, they went two and five of the Canada cup, but I think that was their first event as a foursome. Um, they went to the quarters at the Canadian open. They went to the semis at the masters. They won the Canadens ends way at the beginning of the season. And they've got wins this year over a whole host of teams, especially when you count the Scotties. Uh, they have also beaten uh, team Sinclair and teams Fujisawa on the world curling tour.
1: Yeah, I think, I think they're approaching, well, I know Chelsea carry we approach approaching this as unfinished business that uh, her performance at the last World She Participated in was disappointing. And, you know, th- aside from making it to an Olympics, this is probably the one thing on her resume that she she wants to kind of get checked off, right? So they're going to come to this event on a mission. They're going to be motivated. And I don't think they're going to kind of underestimate international teams, which I think is one of the traps Canadian teams, especially on the women's side, is – have fallen into lately, so I, I think I expect a really good performance from them this week. Unlike the Chelsea Carey team we saw in 2015.
0: All right, up next is Team Switzerland, skipped by Silvana Tirinzoni with Alina Pats throwing fourth stones. This is Tirinzoni's fourth World Championship appearance. Uh, her best, her last one was in 2013. And her best finish is fifth. But Alina Patz, throwing fourth stones, is the 2015 world champion. Uh, This team finished second at Euros, pretty much kind of swept through that tournament and then lost to the next team that we're going to talk about uh, at the European Championships. Uh, They've also finished second at the Canadian Open. They've made the semifinal at the National. Um, They finished first in BL uh, in a Swiss tournament. Um, and they made the quarters at the tour challenge. Uh, and they, this year on tour, they've beaten Anna Hasselberg twice.
1: Yeah. And I think like, this is a scary team. Like this is a team that was put together to win a gold medal, an Olympic gold medal, not a world gold medal. Right. Uh, and the Swiss women have dominated the women's world curling championship over the last decade. And, uh, this is the strongest Swiss women's team. Like, yeah, they, I agree. Like, so, you know, <clears throat> this is this is definitely uh, like if they if, when we get to the order of merit now the last couple kind of makes sense to me, right? And so, yeah, this this team definitely after Hasselberg is is definitely the second strongest team in the event. So
0: speaking of which, uh, Anna Hasselborg is the number one team in terms of order of merit that's going to be at this event. Obviously, the number one team overall uh, will not because they lost in the finals of the Scotties. But the number two team in order of merit is the top team that will be in this tournament. It's Anna Hasselborg, the defending Olympic Gold medalist last year. They finished second at this event, losing to Jennifer Jones in the final. This is Hasselborg's third world championship appearance. They won the Europeans earlier this year, beating Silvana Tirinzoni in the final. Uh, they were 13 and seven in three curling World Cup appearances, finishing second twice. Um, and this team started out on fire. They won four straight events earlier in the year. They won the Elite 10 the Stockholm ladies cup. They won the masters and won the Europeans like back to back to back to back. Um, they're 17 and four in G S O C events. So clearly this is the favorite. Yeah.
1: I mean, uh, yes, (laughs) there's there's not much to say. I mean, they are a step above and probably had basically the unfortunate part of Holman, um, not winning the Scotties, is that we were deprived of seeing Hasselberg and Holman go head to head in a world championship, uh, which I think would have been interesting. Would have uh, been a lot of fun. It would have been a lot of fun um, without Holman here. I think you've got to kind of separate Hasselberg and say she's the she's like one, like without a, without without question. Doesn't mean she can't be beaten, but. Um, you know, I'll be stunned if she's not on the podium come Sunday. So, uh, and most likely with gold, right? So I'd say they're they're kind of the prohibitive favorites, but definitely if either Pat, if either the Pat's Tiranzoni rink or the Chelsea Carrier rink make the final, then I still think it'll be a really interesting, interesting kind of final too. But I still think Hasselberg will be the favorite no matter no matter who the, their opponents are in the final.
0: We've talked about how deep this field is, but is there kind of a gap between Kerry, Tiranzoni and Hasselborg and the rest of the field?
1: I'd say so in terms of like accomplishments, in terms of resume, yes. <clears throat> I'm, I'm curious to see like some of the teams I picked out, like so like so I like, like Daniela Gench has been kind of good European competitive team for the last six years. and, was working really hard to get to the last Olympics and was kind of the last team not in, which kind of sucks, which has got to be you know pretty painful. But they decided to kind of reload and keep going, and this year it seems to have paid off. And so, like a team like that, I can see kind of you know putting on a good run. Um, the Nakajima team from Japan, right? Another one that's kind of capable of putting on a really good run, and, and the Jamie Sinclair team. So I, I'd kind of put them the next three down. Besides, the, the, you kind of sort of the first three are basically like your marquee kind of top trench. And I'd, I'd separate Hasselberg as a bit better. Then I'd say that's the next three. And the rest is kind of the field. And I think, it, you know, you run that tournament 10 times, you probably get 10 different results in terms of standing from the, the bottom half of the field. But that's kind of how I'd, I'd kind of handicap the, the field right now
0: what does it mean that this tournament is on European ice? And is there really that big of a difference between what we'll see in Denmark versus what we'll see um, in terms of ice uh, between there and the, the men's worlds that'll be in Canada?
1: I don't think, I, I, I don't know who's the ice tech. That's the, I don't have that information in front of me. I don't I think these days WCF uh has pretty tight ice specifications. So I, I don't, I, there's like little subtleties that, you know, between Jay, Jamie Barassa ice and some other ice techs ice. But, um, you know, I don't think that matters that much. Uh, for a world championship, the WCF is going to kind of bring in the best ice tech they, they possibly can. Um, and so, uh, it'll be good quality. I said, you know, the the world junior bees that I go to is, is really good quality championship ice. We play with WCF stones. It's, and, uh, like the women's championship is going to be a step above that. Like they're going to get a a higher tier ice maker than that. So I don't think that kind of matters all that much. The issues are going to be the facility itself, but I got to say being in Scandinavia, it's going to have like a world-class arena, like every, every venue I've been to in a Scandinavian country is really well built and kind of really well funded. So I don't think you're going to have kind of facilities problems, so to speak. So I don't think the ice is going to matter. I don't really think there's much difference between European ice and North American ice these days. I think that those are issues that the WC have been working on for the last 15, 20 years. And so, whereas if you went back maybe 15 years ago, you hear kind of horror stories about ice quality, but Um, these days, ice technology has gotten so good that they know how to solve those problems pretty quickly. What does matter, I think, is how do the teams adapt to that culture and to the time shift? And so I think being on European soil might be a slight disadvantage for the, the Asian teams, a strong advantage for the European teams. And I think it's probably an easier transition for the Canadian in US teams. Like I, I think that whenever there's a world championship in Asia, the Canadian teams in particular seem to struggle for whatever reason. Just kind of perhaps unfamiliarity with the culture, food they don't know, the time shift, I'm not sure what it is. They 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 didn't do their best when it's on Canadian soil and second best when it's in Europe. So I think those things kind of matter a bit. For for Hasselberg, it's probably a quick train ride over to <laughs> to the venue. So yeah. for them it's almost a, a home event. Um I don't think the crowd support matters that much. Like I think the, the crowd attendance is probably going to be significantly less. But uh and th- there are, I've got to say, even at last year's worlds in Vegas, like like the, there are kind of clear traveling delegations. And I got to say Sweden and Scotland in many ways, they may not have been as large as the Canadians, but but they kind of had a more enthusiastic um, cheering section like they, they've kind of got their own thing going a bit more of like the football culture with chance and kind of matching shirts and all this whereas the canadians are just kind of you know cheering or booing they're actually, to be honest i was a bit embarrassed because they're, they're canadians who are like cheering misses and stuff which canadians try to pride themselves on knowing the game well but that's really that really wasn't a pleasant thing to see at the the u.s world championship because you know canadian curling fans should know better than that but So, you know, the fans, the fan channels tends not to be that great at European events. So I think that might be a little bit of a factor, but again, if anything, that's a disadvantage to someone like team care, that's used to playing in front of a large crowd. Whereas perhaps for some of the other teams, it might make it a little bit easier.
0: All right. So Jonathan, give me one surprise team and give me your winner.
1: So my winner is going to be Hasselberg. I think it's. I think they've just been so – like the big shock.
0: Yeah, I'm stunned. <laughs> stunned. I'm stunned.
1: I mean, but I'll say this. I, we should still watch all the games because we saw in the Scotties final, anyone can beat anyone even if you're down by a lot. So, you know, I, I think it, I think other teams are capable of pulling off an upset, but I, I'd probably put Hasselberg at like 60 70% likely to win the event.
0: Okay. And then what's yours, Who give us a surprise team, a team that's maybe middle of the pack or even below that might surprise and make the playoffs and possibly be playing for a medal.
1: Playing for a medal as a kind of a sort of a dark horse, I'll pick the German team with Danny Gench just because they've had a good kind of tour season, did really well at the Euro. So I think they're kind of ready to take that that next step. Uh, and I will give a strong shout-out to the Latvian team. I just, I just think they're grinders. They may not even make the playoffs, but it's not like th- – these are not the world championships of a decade ago where they're like, – there, there are no – nothing against Nunavut, but there are no Nunavuts in this field. Like Every team that got there had to qualify through a pretty rigorous process. And so there are no free spaces on the bingo card. And even if a team like Latvia has low rankings – I've, I've kind of seen them play a lot around Europe and they are a grinder team. And so they're going to give a lot of teams, um, some headaches.
0: All right. You picked Hasselberg. So I got to pick somebody else. Uh, I'll take Chelsea Carey. I think this will be the, Ch- the Chelsea Carey revenge tour, uh, and that she'll come away with a world gold medal. Um, and I can't wait for Rochelle Brown's reaction for <laughs> winning a winning a worlds after what we saw after she won the Scotties. Um, for the surprise like i want to say the nakajima team just because i think that they're ready to kind of take that next step and be the third really top japanese team the only thing that gives me pause is that it's on it's in europe and like you said the the pacific asia teams kind of for for whatever reason don't perform as well on european ice like i don't i don't know i think I'll do, I'll go for my surprise team. I'll say Jamie Sinclair's team. I think that they, after the performance they had at Worlds last year, they're ready. They're not going to be afraid. Hopefully, the good Team Sinclair shows up and represents the U.S. well and makes the playoffs and plays for another medal. But so between Team Nakajima and Team Sinclair, I'll take Team Sinclair as my surprise team.
1: All right, that sounds good. I could see. I could definitely see Chelsea Carey winning. I could see Nakajima and Sinclair meddling uh, for sure. I could see, see Jensch meddling, not winning. And I could see Latvia kind of being there in the last day, kind of stiffing around for that sixth playoff spot. I think one of the things that's interesting about that top six making the playoffs is a lot of teams are going to be in it right till the end.
0: Yeah, and what what I really think is you're going to see something similar to last year, where you've got three teams maybe tied for that sixth spot, and then it straw shot challenge, like whoever straw shot challenge, yeah. yeah, like that could you could see a really random team in the playoffs if they wind up at uh, what would it be? Would it if they wind? Yeah, if you see a bunch of teams tied at six and six it could be just the most random team that beats everybody else out just because of draw shot challenge.
1: Yeah. And that's kind of fully possible here. So, uh, or our team getting in on a losing record on draw shot challenge, right? If you, if you have a log jam for that sixth spot. Mm-hmm. So that's possible as well. And I think that, I think the thing that hasn't happened yet, but that very well could is a sixth place team getting in winning that Whatever we want to call a quarterfinal game, etc., and then upsetting the number one seed team.
0: Oh yeah, like yeah, because they were they were not happy with this format last year, especially from the Canadian delegations, yeah. uh, because they they want that they want there to be a reward for finishing first or second in the round yeah. robin, which I which I kind of agree with, but. This is kind of the way the World Curling Federation is set up. We even saw it at juniors where Ross White dominated in the uh, round robin. And then he has one bad game and all of a sudden he's in the bronze medal game.
1: Yeah. And I yeah, I could see that happening here too, right? That's, you know, the, so I'd say my pick Hasselberg, they, go, they run the field undefeated Uh Whoever sneaks into that sixth spot, all they got to do is win one game. They win one game against, what, the fourth-place team or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, certainly kind of within their tier. And then they, they get their shot at Hasselberg. Hasselberg's a little bit off. Boom. And all of a sudden, you've got the sixth-place sixth team in the, the gold medal game, right? No, man. Yeah,
0: not, I can't, not impossible.
1: Yeah. Not impossible, yeah. right? So uh,
0: I can't wait. <laughs> That'll be – oh, man. Uh, I think you would see the – I think you would see the – the setup change if, if that were to happen. All right. So this is going to be fun to watch, I think, uh, especially it's going to be good uh, here in the U S having all those games available. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us uh, and tell us what you liked, what you didn't like, we are at curling podcast on Twitter. You can email us at rocksacrossthepond the pond at gmail.com. Uh, thank you for listening. Please remember to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, and if you enjoyed it, uh, please tell a friend We that. That is the, the biggest compliment that that we can receive. So, have fun, and we'll be back. Uh, we're hoping to have some more episodes, like you saw with our interview with Gordon McLean, where we're talking to people about grassroots curling, uh, and we'll also be back with a preview of the men's world before it gets underway. So, uh, thanks everybody, and we'll talk to you again real soon.